Dr. Ertok, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thanks a lot for taking the time. Well, it's I'm pleased to be with you. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. So, um, Dr. Barry Sears wrote the foreword for your book, The Hormone Solution. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says that hormones not only control our lives, but they also have the power to alter the expression of our genes. How so? What does he mean by that? Well, he means uh, that hormones work on the most important part of our body is the activity, the metabolic uh, activity, that's the working of enzymes. Mm -hmm. And so when you um, uh, stimulate uh, gene expression, which the hormones do, you stimulate the production of enzymes and you have a lot of reactions that happen more and adequately with beneficial effects. Mm -hmm. So basically it's the sort of leaders are, uh, that will stimulate the cells to work adequately. Mm. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the main ideas in that book is that through proper nutrition, good lifestyle, and potentially the use of exogenous hormones, we can improve our lives and our health substantially, right? But why is it that hormones have such a bad press? Because they kind of do, right? Well, first of all, this is really traditional medicine. It's just an extension of what happened 100 years ago with a lot of evidence and, and very strong, much more than what we could call now today emergency medicine. Mm. The reason that it's not so much well accepted is that many physicians have been working in the emergency field and they don't understand that we would treat people who look healthy and make them healthier. Mm. And, um, so, and there are two reasons um, that then raise fear is they think it's not necessary, so it's maybe potentially dangerous and you could have a scare of hormones because it could give premature aging, cardiovascular diseases and cancer which it does not give normally if it's adequately treated. On the contrary, it would even protect against. But people just don't know that and many physicians don't know that. They, they have a scare, they think it may happen with hormones but in much less likely than with the latest anti-cholesterol right. medication that some problems come but it's that overdosages are imbalances. But when you give the adequate dose, you do just the opposite. Right. You will uh, not only reduce premature aging, but possibly even reverse uh, physical and mental aging. You will also uh, probably decrease drastically the risk of cardiovascular. We see that in our patients really have a sort of top position. Mm -hmm. uh, position. Uh, and uh, you have also uh, uh, probably a much decreased cancer risk. In our patients, for example, we have 30% less cancer in the study that I published. While we have very sick people coming in, this which should have 30 percent more cancer we have 30 percent less and then the second reason and this is absolutely amazing is that it's thought that there's not enough scientific support for these studies and people believe scientific is very important but we have 10 to 100 times more double-blind placebo-controlled studies than almost any medication in the pharmacy that is not a hormone or not a vitamin or not a nutritional. Because uh, we have studies since more than 70 years for most of the hormones, we have studies done by a lot of institutions all over the world. It's not only preserved by one firm. And to, for example, one of the most controversial hormone treatments, while it should not be controversial, is uh, Grotamone in adults. And, and Grotamone in adults has more than 460 double-blind placebo-controlled studies. How much did Sildenafil, the erection pill, the first one that came out on the market, have when it came on the market on PubMed, the most important data bank? One double blind study with 12 persons. And in 2012, with that molecule, 
1,824 deaths were reported attributed to that molecule. If we had one single dead was a hormone, it will be a whole controversy, which we don't have. Mm -hmm. So the safety is enormously bigger. The scientific support is much, much bigger. Uh, and and, and uh, you're really in a safe therapy. I would I generally say this is 10 times safer mm -hmm. uh, than any uh, an, a new invented molecule and that we really need these uh, molecules. As you said, most people go to the endocrinologist or to the hormone specialist when they are already sick, right? Few people go uh, to see you or any other doctor to say, well, I'm doing fine, but I want to do better. That's rare, right? What has to happen in the health industry or in the health sector for that to change, to flip, to be the opposite? Well, we just have to understand that there are two complementary medicines. There is the emergency medicine, which is fantastic. If I want my life to be saved, often it is better that I would take that new drug or, or I would go in the hospital and then I have a fine treatment. Mm. But for long-term treatment that you take still several weeks, several months, you need the field medicine that we do, the healthy aging medicine. and and, and that will be one is, is accepted. It has seen that this is very scientific. It has good results with very great safety, very few risk uh, if it's well balanced. Then I think they will, uh, will medicine mm -hmm. will completely change, and it's changing now. Mm -hmm. So, in your book, you, you um, the human body produces more than 100 hormones. In your book, you focus on the 15 most important. Of those 15, there are two of which we suffer a very sharp decline very early in life: is growth hormone and melatonin, right? Um, also, DHEA is probably well, the sharpest decline of all. Okay, yeah. but I wanted to focus because you mentioned it before: sure. uh, growth hormone. Why is it so important to maintain? to maintain good levels of growth hormone throughout life? Well, without, uh, there's been a study that showed that people who do not produce growth hormone in their life, they're smaller, they're dwarfs, of course, uh, but they die, uh, men die about 19 years uh, earlier, and the women in the same family that have the bad gene uh, die 34 years uh, shorter. So if you want to live long, you need to have enough growth hormone. But that's nothing compared to the quality of life it gives. Um, it, it really restores you when you have four, six hours of sleep and you had growth hormone, even with a lot of stress before and the growth hormone is sufficient, you, have, you are restored, you recover the next day, you feel fresh. So you can compensate like to some spring. extent sleeping less hours? Yes, because you sleep much more deeply with growth hormone. It's okay. a sort of a, uh, it emphasizes deep sleep and the REM phase, the rapid eye movement phase, which is the dream phase. And then uh, people recover much better. They sleep deeper, they need less sleep, and they feel better. It's also a hormone that calms down anxiety. You um, people with age, they get more and more anxious, worried, and you know the generation gap is. the problem with <laughs> parents, not up to children, because they are over-anxious, because of low growth hormone is one of the main things. So um, um, if, if I stop my growth hormone treatment that I take since uh, 23 years, actually, um, I get after two days, I get exhausted, not tired, exhausted. I don't recover even I sleep 12 hours, and, and I need two hours of sleep more, and uh, I have this anxiety without a reason. And, and it's not me. It's like parasite emotions. So growth hormone gives this inner peace. It gives uh, a, a strength. You can also do multitasking. Uh, you, I, I can f um, talk to you. I can answer another person who comes in. I can take a phone call, work on a computer, and I won't lose my concentration. I'll be calm, and I'll give the right answer. Wow. 
So it's also a hormone that gives you more solutions. It's really something everybody should get and very easy to recognize. Eh? When you mm -hmm. don't have enough growth hormone, you start having a bowed back. Mm -hmm. It gets very tense here with neck pain and your muscles start to become loose and, and less tonic. So you, you age actually. It's one of the two major hormones actually um, that makes you do not age if you have enough, but if you don't have enough, you really age quickly. No, Many people in the biohacking community are taking melatonin, not only as a sleeping supplement, but also because they claim that it has some sort of uh, effect on the brain, some sort of autophagy or cleansing power or neurogenesis, something like that. I don't know. I, I wanted to ask you if that makes sense to you or is total nonsense from California. Well, Melatonin is um, a molecule that is necessary for many other things than just sleep indu induction. Uh, melatonin uh, protects the brain from oxidative damage. What is oxidative damage? It's free radicals. It's a little fires in your brain or in your uh, body that it calms down. It's the okay. strongest and most potent antioxidant. It goes in everywhere, in the fat tissue and the protein tissue. And um, melatonin also fluidifies blood at night so you don't get blood clots and things like that. And it's also completely relaxes your body. This is how it induces sleep, sleep, not by making you confused. It, it, it really relaxes your body uh, so that you sleep like a baby. It's really the baby sleep that it gives where you completely are relaxed. Um, and it has many other things. It um, uh, seems to protect against cancer by stimulating the immune system. So I think those people who take melatonin are right. Uh, you should have a small dose every day for many other reasons. But in America, there's a fashion to give a lot, huge doses of vitamins, huge doses of melatonin. And if you do that with melatonin, you suppress your adrenal glands. You can become burned out if mm. by low cortisol. So I always think you need the right dose. That is often a small dose, but adequate like the body makes. That's in that range we should be. We should not give 10 times more. So we take an oral one or three milligrams well, is generally much too much. You need to have a sublingual 0 0.1 milligrams, 0 0.05 milligrams, mm -hmm. and much more when you have a jet lag, but otherwise not. Okay. Many of the concerns, you partly already answered to this a little bit, but I, want, I would like you to expand on that. So one of the main concerns that people have about taking hormones is that they think that they might develop some sort of, some sort of tolerance or some sort of side effects, negative side effects. Um, I am playing the devil's advocate here a little bit, but isn't that a reasonable concern to have to some extent for some people? Uh, certainly not with melatonin and uh, mostly not with all the other hormones. Um, the melatonin, actually, when you give a hormone, the own gland produces maybe 30% less. But this is just a temporary. It's just because it was overproducing and that was not enough. There was still a deficiency. So it comes down and the gland will um, tear and wear with time less because it has helped. If you stop uh, such a treatment, this is, has been shown for thyroid treatment and testosterone treatment, um, even 30 years later, you have exactly the same values after two or three weeks, it takes a little time, that you had initially. They were probably low, but they won't be lower and worse, which okay. is surprising because there's an age-related decline that does not seem to occur in people who take huh. the hormones. So I think it's just a help, and it's certainly not damaged, and it won't damage the gland so it secretes less because you take it. Mm -hmm. You often stress the fact that things like pollution, soil depletion, the widespread use of pesticides have a negative effect on the capacity of the human body to produce hormones, yeah. right? Uh, but still there are so many people that don't 
see the link. Even doctors sometimes question, some doctors question th that link between those two apparently independent facts, right? Could you please go over that mechanism? Wh why is that? Well, let's first talk what happens when you have a pollutant. And basically when you have uh, pollutants in your body, they go everywhere in the body. But they will go more in the organs that have a quick, rapid uh, blood flow. And that's the endocrine glands. They have much more blood flow in the endocrine glands than the liver or the intestines. Uh, and so they will accumulate where they are brought more frequently and more often and more quickly. Okay. And the endocrine glands are very fragile, so they will be hurt by that. And many things uh, are, are do damage um, um, to the, the pesticides. They are called endocrine disruptors and there's less and less physicians that oppose the idea. There's mm. more and more physicians say it's, it's real, but we don't know what to do. Well, what to do is actually you take hormones, so you depollute easier, drink a lot of water, you go in the sauna and things like that, but you avoid the pollutants. In first instance, don't drink in a plastic bottle, for example, water that's uh, full of plastic phthalates and things like that. Mm. They have done experiments in the three, we have three health ministers, a Walloon, a Flemish, uh, the Federal. Right. They all had phthalates in their blood. You know, when you eat, buy meat packed up in plastics, that's often a little fat, and, and, and it, it takes the phthalates from the plastic. You eat plastic too. Right. What, what else can we do to diminish the impact of estrogenics in general? You, you, you said sauna. Sauna is a very good tool, right? Yeah, but that's to depollute. The first thing is to avoid <laughs> the, the first place, right? So okay. eat what you call the paleolithic type diet. Eat the diet of our ancestors of organic uh, vegetables and fruits um, with, with meat also as organic as possible. And you will have much less pollution, but you will have, because there's industry, maybe 10 kilometers that send heavy metals in the, and they go on the organic fields, uh, vegetable green, but you will have much less. Mm. So that, I think that's the first. The second is to take hormones, especially thyroid hormones, make that you depollute easier. Uh, if you have a deficiency, please correct that you'll depollute easier, and, and you will some often lose the, the symptoms of pollution right. while you didn't do anything else than the thyroid. And then, of course, uh, there are specific treatments but they are not as helpful as providing hormones so that your body its own will detoxify mm -hmm. the hormones. Interesting. Uh, you already touched a little bit also about nutrition, but I would like you to also to expand a little bit on which are the basic dietary like guidelines for, for a good health. Well, this is extremely important. I always say the first thing is not to take hormone supplements. The first thing is to correct your diet. So the paleolithic type diet is the one that our sisters had. And there are two things. One is completely unknown by the public. The other one is known uh, by, the, uh, by a lot of uh, informed public is that uh, we need to eat the food that our body has adapted after millions of years. And that's basically, uh, it can proteins that meat, fish, and poultry, but not cooked in oil, I think. So you have to boil them or you eat them raw, but, or you put them in the oven at 85 degrees Celsius or 185 degrees Fahrenheit, but you do not uh, cook them in oil, not even in coconut oil, because there's always some toxic facts originated that make you sick, uh, mm. tired, and cancer later. Um, so uh, you also eat vegetables and fruits. Uh, fruits should be separate from the rest. And now the other item is that they didn't eat 
proteins in the evening in the prehistoric times. Never in the ashes of prehistoric fires that they found did they find bones of animals. So they needed proteins. What for? Because they went hunting in the morning, they catch the prey in the morning and ate the prey in, in the morning. Oh, and they didn't eat it after, they didn't have a fridge, so it was full of flies, they were not going to eat it after. And sometimes they didn't manage to catch a prey, they, they went hunting in the afternoon, they continued hunting in the afternoon, they ate in the afternoon, they never ate in the evening. They, otherwise we would have bones in ashes of fires. And sometimes they didn't hunt anything, so they had a, a rest of proteins. And the intestines is then flat recovers. I am 61 years, I have a flat uh, belly, but because I don't eat proteins in the evening. If you eat proteins in the evening, it puts your body in hypothyroidism. Uh, normally, uh, proteins should stay here, uh, three to six hours in the stomach, and then go further, and at the end of the day, they are digested if you eat them in the morning. But if you eat them in the evening, it stays the whole night, and the following morning, so maybe 12, 15 hours, and then you have a bloated belly, lifelong, and problems of obesity lifelong because of hypothyroidism during all that time. It slows down, a little bit technical for a public, but it slows down the conversion of the pro-thyroid hormone T4 into the active thyroid hormone T3. So you, even with a good treatment, they have swollen eyes in the morning, they're puffy, they are, have increased in fat and have increased in mixedema waste products because of this nighttime hypothyroidism. So oh. these are the two things to do. And then, of course, to correct nutritional deficiencies like iron, zinc, vitamin A are the most important ones to stimulate hormone action also. Mm. And, but, but there are many others. There's also magnesium and, and things like that. So, so we correct that, and then you should take also hormones. Don't wait till you're 60 years old to take hormones. Right. You have to start on average at age 30, and then at 35 more hormones, and at 40 you should almost have the whole panel of hormones, and there are more than 15 hormone deficiencies. <laughs> because it's <laughs> okay. hard worse, but, right. but we have a fantastic chance that we can correct them. You, you touched also a little bit on, on uh, fasting. No, well, you, you didn't explicitly say fasting, but uh, so the human body developed in a world of fasting, feasting, right? Eating, uh, building tissues, breaking yeah. down like misfolded proteins, uh, malfunctioning tissues, that kind of thing. So fasting seems to be all the rage lately because of these benefits of uh, cleansing, cleansing the system. And well, it gives a rest to the intestines and it needs it to recover to be able to digest better. People have hypoglycemia, they should eat less meals, not more meals, because otherwise you could continue on overloading the burned out belly. When it's round, it's burned out. So it ha you have to have a flat belly in between but meals. how would you recommend someone to explore fasting someone that hasn't ever done it for example well simply skip your evening meal, <laughs> that's all and you start with that that's already a miracle and then uh, you will see the change your belly is going to get flatter and you're going to have less intestinal gases and all other problems the second thing is not eat too much proteins at lunch you eat most of them in the morning and you will see your digestion is going tremendously to improve okay. also if you follow the paleolithic type diet okay what is your take on coffee? Because, well, I know you don't like it <laughs> or you don't recommend to take it, but uh, there seems to be a lot of studies lately, I don't know who uh, financed those studies, but that suggest that the well, it's very uh, dense in antioxidant, that kind of thing, and the net, the net effect could be positive. That's what they claim. But I was very interested to know what you think. The, the problem is that it's a, a disaster for the hormones, okay? It... Um increases uh, the cortisol at the wrong time. It increases the insulin, the fat 
inducing hormones right. so you have more cellulite and you have more fat on the belly and then it decreases the growth hormone which decreases the abdominal fat and it decreases thyroid hormone at least experience in in animals have shown that and um and you cannot give an adequate thyroid treatment to somebody who takes coffee especially the caffeine is delicious you have about two to three times bigger prostate volume in people with high coffee uh, drinking the more coffee the more bigger the prostate oh, yeah. is okay. and I have to actually treat people with enlarged prostate or, or cysts in the breast or more often in cancer in the breast okay. also so there's too many side effects if you take it on a regular pattern but if you take it once a, a week uh, or twice a week one or two cup I don't think it's dramatic okay. but not every day you should even not even a good food every day because you get uh, a, um, food allergies to it also. So I think it's it's uh, reduced the quantity if you really like it. And why not take decaf? Because the decaf now is decaffeinated on a um, non-toxic way by carbon dioxide and water. Um, and so that's better. But water is still better because all these drinks, uh, like coffee and decaffeinated, acidify your, your, your body and you should alkalize it's it's okay. not become too acid you can recognize when it you are too acid you have heavy legs when you go up the, the stairs you you everything seems more tiresome and things like that okay so coffee's a no-go uh, <laughs> water is the best seller water. since millions of years so okay. why not water <laughs> so my understanding is that you run marathons, but you don't recommend other people to run them. No. It's sort of like do as I say, exactly. but not as I do kind of uh, advice, right? What's well, not what? entirely. It's just to wear the consciousness that right. a marathon after age uh, 35, if you don't correct your hormones, is dangerous to your health. Uh, because you exhaust your body, you damage your body. And you uh, see all these people that run marathons at high age, they are much more wrinkled than other people in the face, but the legs look still good, but, but the rest of the body is... So So I think it's, it's excessive. When I do a marathon, I have my hormones corrected, and I adapt further my hormones two or, day, two or three days before the marathon, during the marathon, and after the hormones, so I don't get damaged. I've done a marathon uh, about 48 hours ago, and I'm almost completely recovered. Imagine oh. that with a normal person, even a, a very top person. No, because I take hormones, and, and now I don't even have to adapt tomorrow the hormones because it's, it's, it will be corrected. Um, and then um, also um, um, marathons, uh, they, they should have some training. And you, uh, during the marathon, I take um, hydrogenated water. I put magnesium in the water that makes it hydrogenated, uh, that is very antioxidant. So I, I do many, many different things. I take some more magnesium, some more potassium. So uh, I adapt, and, and that is not done in most of the marathons. Mm. It's, uh, we're still in prehistoric times of <laughs> marathon preparation and nutrition. Right. What, so let's take this person, he's 35, 40, is in good shape, but doesn't like sports at all, doesn't like physical activity, but is willing to make an effort to invest 45 minutes three times a week to to do something for his health and his longevity or her longevity. What type of uh, physical activity would you recommend? If it's 45 to minutes three times a week, I would uh, advise just walking. Walking? Uh, actually, that is even healthier, I think, than jogging for long term. And uh, studies have shown that if you um, 
read about three kilometers point two or two miles a day if you you, you walk uh, you have about thirty percent less mortality less risk of dying so that must be very uh, positive yeah. if you don't walk you rest so you have to walk I think I would rather do it four or five times a week uh, 30 minutes than just three times to 45 but it's it's, it's very good mm. direction now somebody who doesn't want to do physical activity is hormone deficient because when you are hormonally in you need to have something physical you're like a, a hunter who needs to hunt or uh, an athlete who needs to boot move and uh, so somebody it's very suspicious of chronic hormone deficiency somebody doesn't like uh, to do any sports or uh, physical activity so it means something right <laughs> yes it's 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 very very suspicious huh. of uh, in need of hormone correction let's talk about doctors what makes the difference between a very good doctor and an excellent doctor an excellent doctor very easy to know you ask him the question do you take these treatments do you take hormone treatments especially for hormone doctors yes. if he doesn't and he does everything for his patient the best but he forgets to treat himself it's a good doctor, but not an excellent doctor. Huh. So a, a real doctor has experience, has to have experience from within. If all the cardiologists, all the psychiatrists would take their own drugs they prescribe, they would probably change to other therapies that are safer. So I think an excellent doctor is the one who, who does treat himself. If you have a doctor who's obese and smokes uh, before you, you have understood that doctor doesn't know much about how to do a good health. Right. So right. simply, you look at him and you ask him the question if he takes his treatments. How does a consultation with you or with any other doctor that follows your line of work look like? Like, I go to your consultation, like, well, I'm okay, but I would like to improve this and that, or I have this problem. How does it work? You look at me, you start with blood work. Well, first, How? it's a different type of consultation in the sense that we do not consider... Um, a hierarchy. We are a team that's going to work. Okay. We're the counselor, but the the patient is his or her health manager. So we need to have these two bosses together. And um, we, uh, when we, we listen to the patient, but the patient has filled in, in a very long questionnaire mm -hmm. that already makes aware of the patient of his hormone or nutritional deficiencies or his food inaccuracy because there's a sort of title, and then he fills in the question. And uh, with this, we do a f good physical examination. Many people say, I've never been screened so terrifically because we need this information, the signs and symptoms of hormone deficiency and sometimes excess to know exactly how to balance the patient. And then we do a blood test and a 24-hour urine test. 24-hour urine test permits to have an idea of the production over 24 hours of the hormone, and also it has metabolites. So a hormone, when it has an action, it is converted to metabolites. So metabolites show that there's a lot of action of the hormone or not much action. So we can follow that over 24 hours, gives an excellent idea, and then we make the patient come back and we give uh, treatments in according to what we find. But we don't base ourselves only on clinical, on physical exam or on, on the, uh, the questions of the patients or on the lab test. We take everything okay. together and make an evaluation and we have to see then the patient back to further uh, fine-tune the treatment. Mm -hmm. What have you learned over the past two years that excites you the most? Well, there's unbelievable uh, things that are really happening. I would say two things that have, for me, been uh, very impressive is peptide therapies. Peptides are little proteins, if you know, but when we talk about peptides now, it's mostly uh, substances secreted 
by organs and mostly the muscles but sometimes the liver and other organs and these peptides um, will have an action on these organs that is extremely strong uh, more powerful than Grotoman IGF-1 are probably peptides like mechanogrowth factor and folistatin to improve the muscle tonus. It seems to rejuvenate your whole body, the skin, and even the well, genital areas, uh, and, and very quickly uh, if the dose is adequately given. So this is really very enthusiastic. There's no legislation really on it, uh, but, but it, it, it's, it's impressive to see the results. The problem is the difficulty of excess. But, um, so these are safe therapies with body owns molecules. Sometimes they have, have received a molecule so that they have a longer action in the, the body. But it's very impressive and it will revolutionize further medicine like hormone therapies did. Um, but they're not hormones because they're not secreted by endocrine glands. Then a uh, second, but that's just, uh, is that um, I have done, um, I had damage to my eyes that was severe. Um, I had um, not really wanting, but I, I let myself that back pain and I received cortisol injections. It completely destroyed my eyes. So I was blind in half of one eye and I had, um, so I had double cataract. So I put cataract lenses in and uh, what happened is they were focused for far, so I had to put glasses to read. I don't put any glasses to read now, or sometimes it happens two times a month when it's very dark and I need to see something, uh, because um, I did two things. First, my eyesight improved extraordinary, I would say, by two sessions of stem cell therapy. The, uh, stem cells are cells that can transform themselves in other cells and uh, replace cells that are gone. Mm -hmm. And so basically I had an injection here and around the eyes and with not the first two months, but after two months, my eyesight became really very good. Wow. And then uh, to read, uh, so I saw more and to read uh, close by, I had telomeres activators. I took um, not even the, the best, I took astragalus and extract, the plant extract, the root extract, and uh, I took epitalon, which is a uh, a nutrient made by the pineal gland that we have and that um, has many anti-cancer and many beneficial effects but it also reversed my eyesight uh, I had tried those products before they also improved my, my uh, seeing but here I took two of those of um, uncontrolled uh, uh, brands uh, controlled for quality but not controlled for the efficacy and it uh, tremendously works extremely wow. well for my eyesight Incredible. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see more colors and things like that. So my life is full of colors. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have five more minutes? Yeah. Um, I would like to talk about oxytocin. You wrote a book specifically on oxytocin. Um, and I would like to talk a little bit about me. I am not shy. I am not an introvert. But I don't have a natural tendency to be a very social person. Right. So oxytocin is the hormone of socialization, joy, pleasure. How can someone like me improve his or her levels of oxytocin? I mean, well, first you could, of course, take the oxytocin subligo and you will feel the difference. And you have to do it because you will see that it will always work better by taking oxytocin okay. than by an alternative way. And you will benefit. I see signs that make that you okay. will really be happy to take it. Right. Because what does oxytocin make? It makes that you really feel people as much more wonderful people, you like to be with them much more because yeah. you, they, they irradiate some warm-heartedness and it's actually your own warm-heartedness that bounces it. So uh, basically, 
please do it because okay. myself, I'm lacking oxytocin. I take some. I would never would like, life, uh, like to have died without knowing what the effect of oxytocin okay. is. It brought romanticism in my life. Uh, when I leave my wife from five meters, I suffer now, but it's a delicious suffering from all the good memories. So basically, it is important to have oxytocin. It's also protective for cancer, uh, prostate cancer, and things like that, and breast cancer. So there are many re It also protects your heart against heart attacks and things like that. At least there are studies that cause facilitation. But if you really want to do it another way, uh, you can meet people. The more you meet people, the more you will have oxytocin. People who live with a partner and not alone have more oxytocin. Um, and um, you, you, you can uh, touch people, you'll increase your oxytocin. If people do a massage to you, you will have more oxytocin. You won't have as much as people who's already extremely rich in oxytocin, those so people who are very expressive and things like that, but you will produce more. Okay. So people who produce easy, they will produce even more when they have all these things. Mm -hmm. Singing can also Singing. make you produce more okay. oxytocin. Uh, see, uh, images of happy people will give you more oxytocin. There's many, many studies on, on in fact, it's one of the, st uh, the, the compounds that is the most psychologically uh, studied with double-blind passive control studies, hundreds. It's not just uh, two or three like okay. for uh, anti-cholesterol medication. So b basically, there are many other things. I, I've written a book uh, called uh, Oxytocin and, and the passion you have behind it, and it has all the different things you could do uh, to improve oxytocin. Um, and, and, and you will see there are many things that will improve. Uh, I, I even met in, in, a, in a guy who did exactly what you should do to increase your oxytocin because he had not much. And he was a trainer, coach, psychological for the people. And, and he showed that you play like a ch child, uh, become, do, tr make people laugh. And it's true that you will increase your own oxytocin and those of others then. <laughs> But do not forget that it will be much better, higher level, when you take additionally to that uh, oxytocin. Okay. Uh, the very last question, Dr. Ektok. I want to be respectful of your time. No, but you can because I have a little time. Okay. Then I have two questions. One is for the fitness people. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but also my understanding is that prenatalone is the precursor of both cortisol and testosterone. Is that roughly? It's a precursor, yes. Yeah. But it um, after age 35, there's very poor conversion when you take it orally. Okay. It should stay in your body much longer for it to have a good conversion. Okay, but my question is, uh, fitness people take uh, cortisol blockers, well, some people take cortisol blockers because, well, cortisol is uh, catabolic, right? And they don't want that, they want uh, to favor the pathway for testosterone. Are they playing with fire by doing that? One of the problems is that in most people with age, there's less bioavailable cortisol, cortisol uh, available for the target cells. So by doing that, it's somewhere an absurdity because you're going to aggravate a situation that will cause, because cortisol is the main anti-inflammatory hormone, inflammation in your body. So it's not the right way. You actually, if you're cortisol deficient, you should take cortisol, and but you should add always, there's no exception to that, Anabolic hormones. Anabolic hormones are not anabolic. So it's, it's natural hormones that are in our body that build up the body, build up tissues. And so, and they block excessive breakdown from cortisol so that you make the treatment safer and you make even the treatment more efficient. Because if you add DHA to cortisol, you have much more uh, the reduction of any unwanted inflammation.
Mm. So basically, uh, and it's not only DHA, but Grotamon and many other hormones that can uh, be additionally given okay. that will protect against any side effects. It's better to do that way than decrease your hormones. Mm -hmm. You need the hormones. Okay. I don't know if this statistic is correct, but I read that uh, according to the World Health Organization, testosterone levels in males have been dropping like 1% since the 50s. Um, so that means we are half the man we used to be, I guess. How can we improve also the levels of testosterone? Yeah. People Now, that don't want to take it exogenously, for example. This um, investigation for testosterone actually is, is something that is already since uh, thousands of years on. When you look at the uh, buildup of the face of the Cro-Magnon and the Neanderthaler and, and, and the Homo sapiens before, the males had much bigger bones and jaw bones and much more testosterone uh, expression. So the testosterone is reducing not only uh, now, it's, ex it's increasingly decreasing now with pollution, uh, but it, it was always good because if you want to live in society, you may not have too much testosterone or you want to, uh, you, to be sometimes too violent and things like that. Uh, I have... Uh, corrected my testosterone levels relatively good, but I have other hormones that calm down the aggressiveness <laughs> of testosterone. I hope so. Right. Uh, um, but so, so it has a social meaning to lower the testosterone. It's not really a bad thing, uh, but you, may, you must have a minimum amount or, or a medium amount of testosterone which, where you feel extremely determined. And to increase that, you can already do it by the food and you might increase it by about 30% your levels, which is significantly a difference. The first is to avoid sh uh, things like sugar and uh, because sugar decreases uh, the production of testosterone. And if you, they, they do a test uh, sometimes to see if you have diabetes, you drink uh, a sugar drink and you decrease eight hormones and one of those is testosterone by eating sugar. It's the same as you go in a, uh, one of those big hamburger restaurants and you, you take a big milkshake, you will have an oral glucose tolerance test and you will decrease six hor uh, no, eight hormones during about 24 hours wow. by doing that. So avoid doing that. And then the second is to eat... Um, Uh, protein-rich food uh, like meat, fish, um, fish less, but meat and poultry more, and uh, but fish a bit, and then uh, fat-rich uh, food like uh, ghee or, or clarified butter huh? from the Hindu. They take out the proteins, they give allergies, and that's the best butter. And uh, egg yolk um, and all these types of food like also liver, organ meat, uh, they increase. They are rich in healthy fat actually if you don't cook them at high temperature mm -hmm. and that increases your testosterone levels and, and you will have better testosterone levels uh, right. surely but do not drink your beer or alcohol because that's a decrease about 30 to 40 percent the next day of testosterone so the men who drink beer they think they are men but 10 years later they are fat belly with beautiful breasts you should have a bra <laughs> right. and, and, and uh, that's not being a man so alcohol is also a no-go right Alcohol on a daily basis certainly not good. It, it blocks two hormones more than others. Grotamol, you if I give a Grotamol treat, it has almost zero effect if a person drinks even half a glass of alcohol a day. So they may have to limit alcohol to two days uh, per week, the weekends, for example, to one, two glasses. And um, the testosterone. 
also is inactivated and and, bec- and you lower the level. The, the growth hormone levels that are so important, it's one of the main hormones to keep you young. It decreases if you, if you drink one or two glasses uh, per day, about 70% your production of wow. growth hormone. And that's just if you do it once. If you do it several times every, every day, it's 75% reduction. So if you want to permit your age, continue on drinking your alcohol. You probably won't have so much cardiovascular disease, but there are six other causes of uh, death that increase, cancer by cancer, by accident, by violence, and things like that. And you will also premature age. Dr. Rector. <laughs> you have to eat paleotic diet, and you'll be much happier with that, with <laughs> oxytocin. <laughs> oxytocin. I will. I will take oxytocin. Thank you very much. This has been, Welcome. A, this has been a masterclass. And, thank uh, you. I hope we'll do a round two, maybe in the future. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.